Hello and welcome to the Fellowship Phase, an Adventures in Middle-Earth podcast. I'm Josh, and that's Callum, and that is Scott, and we're going to give you inside information on how to find your own path through Tolkien's world. Indeed, said Clone. If it were not for the Bjornings, the passage from Dale to Rivendell would long ago have become impossible. They are valiant men and keep open the High Pass and the Ford of Carrick. But their tolls are high, he added with a shake of his head. And like Bjorn of old, they are not overfond of dwarfs. Still, they are trusty, and that is much in these days. Hello, Callum. Hello, Scott. Hello. Hello, Scott. Hello, Josh. Hello, Josh. Hello, Callum. <laughs> that's, that's how we do these things now. <laughs> Apparently so. Apparently. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, we left our last session on a cliffhanger, I believe. That's right, isn't it, Callum? We did. Uh, we love cliffs in this game. Uh, listen to the terrain episode if you want to hear more about cliffs. Uh, yeah, so we left it on a cliffhanger, which we are not going to answer. We are not going to answer, that's right, yeah. because we need to talk about Bjornings as a culture. So, what do we know, and what have we learned playing? I think that's the things we want to talk about. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm going to ask Scott first, because you're the... Well, you've both played Bjornings, and I've never played a Bjorning. So, how do you feel about the term Bjorning? Like, what, what does that what sort of sense, like, values, or... You know, what, what does Bjorning mean to you, I guess? I, like, start with that, and then maybe I can talk us through a little bit of what what Tolkien wrote, or my understanding of what he wrote, and what the book adds, and then what we've added. Okay. Um, I think <laughs> I think as Carhu, an immense sense of pride in being a Bjorning. Okay. Like, they do not mm-hmm. like being slighted by others. It's not something to mock them for. Um, yeah, stubborn. I would say, I, I think for most of the Bjornings that we've encountered, not so much Theodric. Um, no, and actually I thought about Theodric as where did he come from as a Bjorning. And I, I agree exactly with you, the idea of being quite stubborn, not taking to maybe opinions of outside as well. But my perception of Theodric was that he had was a Bjorning who had then travelled around a lot and who had maybe, because of that, some of his more extreme personalities had maybe been smoothed out a little bit because he'd been ex- exposed to other people. But I was the same as you, thinking that he was started as quite a gruff, mm-hmm. stubborn, nose-his-mind kind of person. Uh, and I thought it probably took him a while <laughs> to open up and become more worldly, that that probably didn't come very naturally to yeah. to him. Uh, my perception, I think, and... Like Bjorn is my favourite character from The Hobbit, but I, I, that section where they visit him, I just think it's so much fun. And as a character, I think even just one chapter, his whole personality is kind of captured by the way that Gandalf and the dwarves and Bilbo have to go in one by one. I think Tolkien does a good job there that his character is he's very direct, but not rude. He just doesn't have time for kind of like nonsense or mm, sideways mm. talk he just wants you to be direct with him he doesn't not into unnecessary pleasantries 
it, it felt to me his whole personality is defined by the fact he lives in the wild on his own. So he doesn't really have pleasantries because he doesn't really talk to other people. And he's he's busy and has a hard life, so he doesn't want long-winded stories. And he's quite tough as a person, I think, because he lives in quite a dangerous place. So I thought for Theodric that it's, it's very much grounded in like where he's from, physically where he's from, what it's like, mm. is the personality of the Bjornings. Mm. And I think all the other things, like being strong uh, and being good with animals... All kind of come from that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, there's so much inspiration that can be drawn from that description, and that is by far and away that that chapter of the Hobbit is, you know, by far and away the most description we get of Bjorn, and I guess by inference, then what becomes the Bjornings. And I guess just going back to like what what's written. So you know, there's there's that section in the Hobbit, and then there was the section from Lord of the Rings that I read out, which is uh, when they're at um, the the many chapter many meetings. So they're at Rivendell, and uh, they're speaking to to Glowin or Gloin. I'm never really sure. I think you're meant to pronounce it Glowin, but I always pronounce it Gloin. Um, you know, write in if you if you're upset about that. Um, <laughs> where would, they, where would people it, write into uh, the fellowship phase at gmail dot com? That's right. The um, and and Glowin mentions you know there, there's these Bjornings that are guarding the pass and they charge high tolls. So there's not much information, but they're giving you a little snippet in there, and I, I'm not sure where it is. It's maybe in the appendices somewhere that there is mention that at the time of Lord of the Rings, maybe it's in the histories of Middle Earth. I can't remember which. That whilst there's a lot of conflict happening in the south, Sauron is also making moves in the north. So mm-hmm. we know that you know Dale's attacked, and Erebor is attacked, and the, the kings are both those kingdoms. So uh, Dane is killed, as is um, Bard's son, Bane, I think, is it? Or I can't remember exactly who it is. Anyway, they 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 are attacked. Lothlorien is attacked, uh, and then the elves come out and they go and you know take down Dolgadur basically. And I think there's some mention that Bjorn's son, Grim Bjorn, and the Bjornings are involved in mm-hmm. that. And it's a sort of, again, a throwaway line. So there's little bits that we know of what happens after The Hobbit. We know that Bjorn becomes a leader and has this group of people. So a real big change from how he's presented in Hobbit. Like, completely different from what you described there. We know that they survived till the time of the Lord of the Rings and that there's someone with the name Grimbjorn who is a son or, or an inheritor of that. And we know that they they guard the area that so they're good um, and that they charge money and they are not friendly to dwarves. And that's that's pretty much it. That's that's the, the, the full extent of what is in the official canon, I think. There might be small bits that I've missed, but I think that's that's the main thing. So it's not much, is it? It's really not a lot to go on at all, really. And we know that the way that Tolkien effectively created The Hobbit was it effectively grew out of being a children's story and didn't necessarily need to have a yeah. huge amount of lore. Like, so Bjorn was obviously created as a an individual character who was fascinating, and then all this lore has kind of grown because, well, if he lives there, then that must mean other things are happening in that area. And as the book's grew it was like well we now need to know what's going on in that area so who would be there with him he it makes sense he'd be a leader because his personality was very big and strong but he also lived in isolation so presumably he's not you know the leader of a city or something like that so how would what, what would the the dynamic of the people be like and 
it doesn't really touch on that in the official canon at all, really, no. beyond just referring to him as a leader and there being some other people. What I love about this, and I think this is a, a, a genius game design decision to, to set it in this time period and have it focus on the Andean Vale and, and Wilderland, as they call it, is that there's so much room to be creative yes. and make your own stories. And I think the Bjornings have been a group that we have, as a group, created and fleshed out so much. And I guess, to me, like the way I started was asking questions. Like The books uh, have a lot of extra stuff, and I'll come on to that. But the things that, like from that snippet of information that I ask myself is, what was it that made Bjorn go from being this isolated, very independent, self-sufficient person to leading a group of people? Who were these people before? So presumably other people that lived from the area, they maybe lived there already and just didn't have affiliation of Bjorn, so they're very independent. You know, so what so why is it that they then accepted him? You know, he's a he's a, an exceptional person. We know that. You know, Gandalf pays him a great deal of respect. So that's one question is where these people came from. Another question is you know, how does he manage as a leader? So I hope that that's come across in role-playing. Like, this is someone, he's not, you know, a born and bred leader. This is someone who's had an experience. So this is going to be something that they struggle with and potentially want to hide from people that this is so difficult. And then maybe that's come out through the campaign is at the beginning, it's like, you know, new players, it's Bjorn, like, oh my God, it's Bjorn. And now later in the campaign, I think certainly, I don't know how Carr, who his, his perception of Bjorn has changed over time as he's got to know him better. Massively. Like that, that first encounter we had after the, was it the first session, the first two sessions, and we crossed back across yeah. the woods yeah. and met Bjorn. I had it in my head that Carl had seen Bjorn around, but he'd never spoken to him before because Carl didn't think he was important enough. So he was the leader of his people, and oh my god, this is a huge thing. Now he's a man. He is fallible. Yeah, and he has has fouled. Yeah. If that's a, was that a word? It is now. <laughs> <laughs> and he is still worthy of respect, but he is he is a man. Yeah, he is, he's definitely... In our game, certainly, Bjorn has made mistakes. And I think that, for me, was always something that I thought about. Because I was like, well, you can't just suddenly become a great leader, an inspirational person. And it's such a difference. Mm-hmm. Like, he's... I feel like that's something that he's going to struggle with. Yeah. You're right, he's not a born leader, he's not been raised or you know groomed for being in charge, so he's never had any training for being a leader. He's as much never as been in a leadership and management course. <laughs> well, precisely, which means he's only learnt by doing, and that presumably means he's made mistakes along the way yeah. to get good at what he's doing. So I think we've certainly found through the role play that Bjorn became a very fleshed out character. I also think that the area became quite fleshed out through our role play. Like we've talked before mm. about creating Stonyford, mm. which was partly you as the lore master was there's this place with these people. And then partly us as players engaging with that content actually ends up growing it into a community and those were bigger characters. So how much do you think of what we think of as the Bjornings came from us as players? Um, yeah, I I don't know. Like, so I guess in the books, just to lay out what they've added, like what Cubicle Seven wrote, and I, you know, there there is quite a lot of locations in the in the game in Andrew and Vale, and actually a lot of them I didn't use. So there's a lot of like extra houses or other people named characters. So you came across a couple of people. So like Gilvira and Nalda 
all the people at Stony Ford. There's quite a lot in there, and I think it might be a bit weird. I always felt I thought it was a bit weird reading the book because it's like the Anton Vale is this huge area, but it felt to me like there was a lot of people mm. and a lot of stuff going on. I was like, well, I just kind of wanted it to feel a bit more bare and empty. Bare. Oops. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely a, a mix. You know, just looking at, at the, you know, the, I guess it's like, you know, what's a society like? Most people are probably living off in independent houses. Mm-hmm. You've never really had a time where it's like all the Bjornings have come together. So I guess our concept as a group of the Bjornings is based on not that many people. Like, do you yeah. think it's like, like 10 max Bjorning NPCs that you've interacted with? Yeah, I, I do, I've never kind of given thought to how many there would be, but I always thought they were small group of people and lived very um, quite isolated from one another which I think lends to the character of being perhaps a bit suspicious and but also being very strong and independent is because they live in a dangerous place far from other people mm. I think that makes you think of a certain type of person as opposed to the woodmen who live nearby mm. but live in communities and have built walls and a very different type of person living in the same area yeah, and I think yeah and what differentiates those people? You know, presumably the Bjornings didn't, they don't just pop out into existence. They were people before Bjorn became a leader. So who were they? Were they Woodmen? The people that moved over from settling? They, there's a throwaway line in one of the books, which is like after the fall of Dale from the dragon, a lot of people came into Yandon Vale. I don't know if that's something that Tolkien wrote about, probably not, but it, it kind of makes sense. You know, like we know the dwarves from Erlborough went all the way to Dunland at one point. So, yeah. you know, maybe there's some people that come over from Dale. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, when you're talking about what we've created as a group and what's what's already there, I find it very hard to unpick. But I think Scott, certainly, maybe this is a moment to speak about, like, Carhu's backstory that you came up with. And, like, because that was just a gift, an absolute <laughs> gift. <laughs> Thank so, you for that. That's all right. Um, so I, much like Josh was saying, like, my in my head, Bjornings lived maybe within family units, Mm-hmm. dotted around the land that Bjorn ruled and I was like well my family live in a little village on the north of Bjorn's land he had mum and dad siblings and the village was called Grim Village and his dad was Grimfast so to me that meant absolutely nothing I'd just come up with these names <laughs> and gave them to our wonderful lore master not realising that that had implications for yeah. talking lore and did you like the whole grim thing genuinely just genuinely a... I saw I don't even know if it's a name in here um, it's uh, it's mentioned Grimfast it come yeah yeah so I saw there was a lot of names called Grim and I was like well Grim will be the mm-hmm. village Grimfast is his dad. Um, didn't think anything else of it. <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to give Karhu a family and a reason for his backstory. Yes. Um, and just basically said to Callum, this is what I've come up with. Does that sound okay? Not realising that, what, a year and a bit in real lifetime that that would have <laughs> major implications. Yeah, that you sent me that backstory, and then nothing happened. I didn't do anything with it for ages, yeah. and then we entered into a car- an arc where it turned out that one of the people you've been fighting 
with your sister. Yep. And that was what well, what changed there for for Carhu. I guess we're kind of straying into the, the maybe I'll, maybe we'll come back to that in the next episode. So, but in but terms of in terms of the, creating want, the Bjornings as a people, yeah. I think having a player who's a Bjorning yeah. with a backstory does let you then. Yeah. So I won't go into the details of that, but I think you having a family helped me a lot to flesh things out and having some extra locations and people and actually that sort of inspired my story of what happened to Bjorn you know and I think to me it was like what's what was the change in Bjorn what caused him to change it he went to this battle of five armies and I think my imagination anyway is that he was a solitary person and then he for some reason went to that battle and got involved collectively in a, in a really major event and had a big part to play. Like he killed Bulk in the book. You know, it's like he had a very important part to play in that battle. But that was him sort of like committing to the world. It's almost like the end, isn't it? You know, that same sort yes. of like I'm isolating, um, or like the end of the isolationist um, policy from America, uh, World War Two. I'm making that analogy. Let's just do it. I, I like that. <laughs> so, I wasn't expecting it. I like it a lot. Um, so then he comes back and he's engaged. He's he's gone to this battle. And then he comes back and he's like, well, actually, maybe I do need to, maybe it's not enough to be isolationist, maybe I have something to contribute. And and also, you know, what we've came up with was that actually he didn't go to that battle on his own, which is slightly changed in the lore, I think, because it isn't really ever mentioned. But, like, if there are these people that follow him, maybe some other Bjornings went to the battle, maybe not all of them came back, or maybe people went with Bjorn came back and their perceptions and ideas and values changed based on what happened. Um... I think um, something, well, two things. First of all, I think Bjorn, even in The Hobbit, it's implied, went very reluctantly because he arrives at the battle either just in time or slightly late, which as a reader I always took to mean that he kind of reluctantly went and only when battle really started did he actually join in. He didn't really want to be there, mm. which I think means he's kind of a reluctant leader. And I think often those are the most interesting characters because mm. he doesn't necessarily want to be in charge and then there's that kind of inner conflict of feeling perhaps a sense of duty or loyalty to his people or... I like that a lot. Yeah. I also think about... Um, and I was just thinking about this prompt about what you said there, Callum, that in our story, some people went with him to the battle. And actually, a good example of you know the culture is they don't really have any kind of books or libraries or anything, I would think of them as being a culture that was had a lot of an oral tradition and told stories. Because of that, it's quite plausible that the stories are slightly different and they, like, evolved. Mm. So some people like Bjorn went on his own. Other people say, well, people went with Bjorn. They might say, is that maybe both... Maybe Does it yeah. matter? Yeah, the story is still the idea that the Bjornings contributed to the battle. I suppose it leaves a lot of space, like you said, for creating... A culture mm-hmm. between us as players. Yeah, I don't think we can really talk about the Yornings without talking about the person they're named after, Bjorn. And the Rovanian region guide in Events Middle Earth has this like this, is it three, four pages that are devoted to Bjorn. And there's a lot in there, and it's got some like stuff about the locations, which I wanted to come back to. But um, uh, what what I think interesting is that Bjorn is like really reluctant to let people in, rarely invites foreigners in. Mm-hmm. But then we had two Bjornings in the party. So it immediately <laughs> meant that actually you're much more likely to, to come into him. And we talked before about how the book lays out like expectations and motivations for people. 
um, and not to give too much away, but, but essentially that, um, you know, one of the things he doesn't like, which I think is really fun, is if they lie to him or obsequious, I don't have to say that word, uh, how do you say Just that word? Just go with it. Obsque obsequious? Ob obsequious. Obsequious, thank you. I read that before and I never actually had to say it out loud, I think. Obsequious. <laughs> That's not right. Or draw on, drone on without purpose, which I, I hope that came across when I role-played him. You yes, it did. You really didn't want people to talk too much. You often like cut off, like when people were doing long-winded speeches, he would often just jump in with a question. Mm -hmm. Clearly wanted people to just be like, well, what are you talking about? It was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Um, it was very different from usual, yeah. Which is a hard thing to, to, to interrupt people but not do it in a mean way is, is difficult. Um, so, so that's part of it, is that reluctant leader. It actually gives you a profile for Bjorn, which we were reading through before. We were talking about creating profiles. So there's a profile for Bjorn, and hold oh, on, he's, <laughs> he's strong. He's strong. I got to use it in combat once, and it's uh, really fun. Uh, actually, Karhu might be more powerful than that. Or put the two of them to fight against each other. Um, but I guess the interesting thing around Bjorn is he can shapeshift into a bear. Yes. And that's not normal. And there's a whole page in this book devoted to some just ideas that the writers have and some thoughts about what that is and the idea of things called geas, which I think is from, like, like you know, m m nor you know Celtic, Norse mythology, mm -hmm. you know, like this idea of people taking on an obligation so Bjorn doesn't eat meat and... He looks after animals and so on, but it's given him certain powers. Okay. Like he I can like speak it. to his animals, he can turn into a bear. So what is the nature of that is a big question of Bjorn, and we explore that with, with, with Carhu. I think every time there's a question that's thrown up, it gives me ideas about how to create an interesting story. Um, and then I guess the other question that, that's come in my head is this throwaway comment by Gloin in the book, which is, they have high tolls. Yes. <laughs> and I don't, I've never really resolved this in my head. And I'm interested in your thoughts. What, you know, like, we know that Middle Earth, and, you know, it's not really like a society, there's not a lot of money mentioned in the game. And we deliberately, I kind of messed up the economy very early on in the game, and then we sort of stopped bothering with it. <laughs> I gave you way too much gold early on. Um, so, you know, why is a society taking tolls. What is, it? is that to buy goods? Or I, like, I, I have a thought. I you have a thought, thought as well. Okay, because okay. I never really puzzled this out myself. I'm really interested in what your thoughts are. Do you want to go first? Do I go first? My thought is it's nothing to do with the money. Because I actually can't envisage them as people who would use money for trading, that they're a small community and would likely either just share property or would trade very directly. Like The idea of currency is quite alien. So the, the money is because they don't like outsiders on their land and they feel unsafe and they want to protect their land. And so there's that sense of you have to pay a toll, in this case money, to cross our land. Exactly the same reason. It was basically ah. we want to discourage yeah. people as much as possible. So we're going to create a stupid price that you can pay and we'll take your money. But... We want to protect our land, our animals, our people. Get the fuck away from us, basically. That's really... I don't know if I had ever really thought about it that way, and that makes so much sense. I could totally envisage a, 
a moment then maybe another campaign could do this where maybe you find all the gold or whatever it is at Bjorn's Hall but rather than being in a chest or a safe or a, it's just tossed in the corner yeah. because it's not it's not about the money it's about the money yeah. represents some kind of sacrifice or cost across the land yeah. which and that's so, such an alien concept in today's society which yeah. is you know capitalism and so on and so I guess it's like the temptation as a player character and I don't think anybody's fallen into this might be like well we could use all the money to hire some dwarves to build a bridge or you know like but yeah that's like their motivation is actually that's the motivation for Bjorn in the book is that you know leave me and my people alone Mm -hmm. that's his motivation so so you know like that ties so nicely in with this idea of we'll just make the toll we'll just we'll just set a ridiculously high toll so that no one and then no one will come and then like that completely the complete opposite view of the dwarves who have to go because they've got family in the blue mountains they have to trade like that's they, they, they are very um, much more materialistic and transactional yeah. society. So then, of course, they would feel that's unfair because it's not a reasonable price to pay for it. Actually, the, it makes sense that the money as an idea would have come from their interactions with dwarves who have, as you say, a reason to cross that stretch of land. And you could totally envisage dwarves coming along and Bjorn or whoever saying, you're not crossing these lands. And dwarves being... Mm-hmm trading folk would likely be like, well, what can we give you? We'll give you money to cross your land. And I can imagine that was the first point where the Bjornings thought, money, what is this? What is this? I yeah. don't care. They're going to offer it. Let's just ask for a stupid amount. Yeah. They just come up with an idea for a quest, right? And it's if you were all dwarves, get get an idea of like, how, how to like, maybe Dane is like, wants better relations. <laughs> and maybe it's like, you know, trying to negotiate some sort of contract which is doomed <laughs> with with um, Bjorn for money and then actually he doesn't want money but actually when you go there he's like well no no amount of money or like we're not going to have this but you can go kill this monster or you can go and do this thing for me and then I'll allow I'll people to pass um, or you know because you kind of feel like maybe the Bjorn would respect more like trade or like precious yeah. goods or yeah. like, you know things that have been made like weapons or you know that sort of thing, but um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of interesting questions that are thrown up by the lack of detail. But what little detail we do have, I, I certainly found sort of triggered my imagination. Yeah, and there were a few points while we were playing where what we were doing actually threw up questions were like, what would the Bjornings do? So mm. we would be maybe celebrating a feast. I think at Stonyford, we, we decided we'd have a feast and we thought we'd role play, you know, what prep would we do? We then came up with those questions of, well, Bjorn is a vegetarian and that's kind of a key part of the lore, as you've touched on. Does that mean all Bjornings are like that? We kind of lent on, no, yeah. that's not the case. And actually it would maybe be impractical for people in this area to never eat meat but then that does set Bjorn aside as a as he's mm. made almost like a different lifestyle choice uh, then we talked about things like hunting and cooking and we, we kind of came up with I think the idea that they would cook probably as a as a large group they would all contribute in one way or another which is perhaps different to other cultures so we kind of filled in the gaps I think as we went along came up with questions of like well hang on, what would Bjornings yeah. do here yeah. He's certainly not vegan, um, but it was quite fun coming up with ideas for what was on that table. I actually yeah. quite like going to a feast of describing all the food. Things like, like roasted nuts, cream-based products, mm-hmm. cheeses, yeah. breads, a you know, a lot of honey. A lot of honey, honey yeah. cakes. And, and we had, um, because Theodric had his honey cakes, we talked about where that would come from. 
and in the Hobbit it talks about the huge bees which are as big as birds that Bjorn has. Oh yeah. And um, so when we were establishing Stonyford, we wanted to put in hives, which have actually become a plot point since then. Yeah. And that I think added again to the kind of the separate culture that the Bjornings have. So it's nice that there's not a huge amount written because I think it does give space for players and lore masters to kind of fill in. Yeah. I'd love to know if other because we've been playing so long with Bjornings that we have a very defined sense of what Bjornings are like for us I'd love to know other groups who've played in the Anduin Vale like are your Bjornings similar to how we've described or is your Anduin Vale completely different is Bjorn a different character I'd be fascinated to know mm. and mm. what can people do they can email us at thefellowshipphase at gmail.com nice. or no, tweet us at at fellowshipphase at fellowshipphase well, what have we learned? So we've we've told you a little bit about our what, what the lore is behind the Bjornings, what little there is, what the uh, Adventures of Middle-earth books add, and then what we've come up with. And I think we would all agree that the Bjornings uh, it's a really interesting part and like has been a key part of our story, uh, particularly for Carhu, which you'll need to join us on the next episode for the double cliffhanger. We're going to find out about doomed to die. No emails except on party business. And comments, suggestions and questions to the fellowship phase at gmail.com The long year turns to its close. Much we have accomplished these last seasons. Our fellowship disbands but is not broken and we will return on the next episode of The Fellowship Phase. <laughs>